Good morning. We're going to be uh, looking this morning at Psalm 25. First seven verses are printed for you in the bulletin, and I will read those verses in just a moment. But if you have your Bibles with you, open to Psalm 25, because I will refer to other verses therein located. Little theologians, I want you to draw me a lion, a lion. And after you've drawn your lion, I want you to throw a net over it. Draw me a lion and then throw a net over him. Let's pray. Father, we come to hear your word, to be taught, instructed, led by you. We come to be encouraged. We come to be challenged. We come seeking your face. Father, hear us as we now lift up our voices to you. Father, hear us as we work our way through these inspired words that you have given to David. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. Now, just before I read the scripture, those of you who know me well, you know that I have a hard time staying in the pulpit, you see. But I'm told if I go any further than this, the camera can't see me. So if, and all of that wandering of mine is never planned. It's just sort of spontaneous. So be prepared to go get back into the picture, okay? You can help me with that, right? Okay. All right. Psalm 25, first seven verses. This is a psalm of David. David writes, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be put to shame who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old, and remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Believer, you must remember that by grace through faith, Jesus is your Savior and he is your sovereign Lord and King. You must remember that nothing will ever separate you from his love. You must remember that one day either you will go to be with him or he will first return to set all things right side up. But you also must remember 
we also must remember that for now, for this moment in time, you live in a sin-marred world in which you're attacked daily by the evil one. He outwardly attacks you, trying to rob you of your peace. He attacks you through a painful pandemic, through tornadoes, through constant scenes of brutality and rioting. He attacks your peace through the allurements of a godless culture. And he attacks your peace when you face painful personal circumstances. That's outward. Because, of course, he always he, he also attacks you inwardly. Like a roaring lion, John tells us. A roaring lion stalking about, seeking to devour. And we all know. We all know that at times that roaring lion takes a bite out of you. He takes a bite out of you. And you, you lose perspective. You lose sight of, of what is right in the eyes of your king. And you choose for that moment to go your own way and to do your own thing. Well, listen, you're not alone. I know all about that. More importantly, David knows all about that. Here in Psalm 25, David is suffering the attacks of the evil one. But then, gloriously, mercifully, by, by, because God loves us, he gives to us David's example. And David, by his example, instructs us on how to shut the mouth of that roaring lion. Look at Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2. David's under attack, and the first thing David does is to lift up his soul, to lift up his mind and heart to the sovereign Lord who David knows is his God. Believer, when the enemy attacks, do as David does. Lift up your mind and heart to the Lord and remember. Remember who you are and whose you are. Remember you are his and he is your God and the one who is in, is, is, is your God is the sovereign Lord. All things, all things are under his control. And therefore, like David, you can trust him. You can rest in him. But also remember, and if you have your Bibles open, look at verses 12 and 14. Also remember like, that like David, in verses 12 and 14, he is your God, but 
He is a God that you are. This is always a disturbing idea to many people. He is a God that you are to fear. He is a God before whom you are to live in reverential awe. Why? Because he's the sovereign king who has control of all things, of all things. Which means that his ways are often beyond our understanding. Listen to what he says. This is what the Lord says about himself in Isaiah 45, 7. The Lord says in Isaiah 45, 7, I form light and darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Now that's, that's a disturbing, somewhat challenging idea to say the least. And many have never read that verse or verses like it and choose to ignore what the scripture clearly says or to simply disbelieve what the clear, scriptures clearly say. But your king tells you, I create darkness and calamity. And now listen to Now listen to me, believer. Listen to me. Wasn't I a good boy? Now listen to me, believer. That's also a comforting truth. Why? Because it assures you that life is not a crapshoot. All things are under his control, including your enemies. Now, clearly, moments of darkness and calamity, they stun us, but they don't take the Lord by surprise. I mean, the Lord doesn't sit in heaven and go, oh my, I never knew that would happen. He ordains them. That may be for you a disturbing idea, but in truth, it's a comforting truth. Because if that wasn't true, it would mean the circumstances of your life are simply the consequences of blind chance. But we must ask, of course, I mean, why would the Lord ordain moments of darkness and calamity? This is what the Lord says. Lord says in the previous verse in Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45, verse 6, the Lord says, I have ordained such moments so you may know that I am the Lord, the sovereign Lord who rules over all. And here we are in Psalm 25. David's experiencing, David is experiencing moments of darkness and calamity. David may, it may well be that David wrote this psalm after fleeing Jerusalem because his son Absalom was leading David's people in revolt against him. Well, clearly, you know, that would have been for David a, a dark and calamitous moment in time. In verse 16, David will confess that he's lonely and afflicted. David confesses that he's lonely and afflicted. 
He confesses in verses 17 and 18 that he's that, that he's being uh, that he's troubled and and that he's overwhelmed with distress and and he confesses in verse 19 or I should say in verse 19 he cries out to the Lord because he's being attacked by violent men who hate him. That's the setting of Psalm 25. David knows all about what it's like to face moments of darkness and calamity. It's one of the reasons I love Scripture. I go to Scripture and I find people just like us. I go to Scripture and I find people facing the same realities we face. But David knows something very important. He knows that his God is the sovereign Lord. Look at verses two and three. David remembers he can trust the Lord to keep him from being shamed before his, before his enemies, from, from, getting, from, from giving his enemies any justifiable reason to, to exalt over him, to mock him, and thus to, to mock his God. And furthermore, David knows that in the end, his wantonly treacherous enemies, enemies who attack him without any justification, those are the ones who will be put to shame by the Lord. Believer, when the Lord permits the evil one to attack the Lord also, to demonstrate to you that he is the Lord, that you are utterly dependent upon him, that you can't live this life simply in your own strength. When the Lord permits the evil one to attack, the Lord also empowers you to stand firm in your faith, to honor your God, to give no one a justifiable reason to mock you or him. Oh, I know, they may still mock you and they may still mock your God, but by God's enabling grace, it won't be because you've given them a justifiable reason to do so. Verse 3, David instructs you when you find yourself attacked by the evil one, he calls upon you by his example to wait upon the Lord. Note, if you have your Bibles open, that in verse 5 and in verse 17, David will again speak about waiting upon the Lord. But look at verse 5. David waits upon the Lord. The reason he waits upon the Lord is because David knows that the Lord is his salvation, his savior, his deliverer, the only one who can deliver David from the attacks of his enemies. Now, this is what's, this is what's critical to understand. This is what's critical to understand. David's waiting upon the Lord is not passive. He's not passively lounging in a chair or laying in bed waiting for the Lord to show up. David is actively waiting upon 
the Lord. Look at the end of verse five. David says that he waits upon the Lord all day long. Surely, like all of us, David had things to do. He had things to do that day, but throughout the day, David says, he waits upon the Lord. He looks to the Lord. He looks to the Lord to show him the way, to show him the path he should follow. He looks to the Lord throughout the day to lead and teach him how to walk in the light of the Lord's truth. So how does he do that? How does David wait upon the Lord? How does he learn from the Lord the paths he should follow? Well, this is the advice from his own experience that David gives to his son Solomon in 2 Kings 2-3. David's dying, Solomon will soon be king, and David tells him that if you want to know the way of the Lord, then you must heed what is written in his word. Wow. You see? It's not passive. It's active, this waiting upon the Lord. Now, you know, I dislike assembling toys intended for our children on Christmas Day. Why? Because I don't like reading the instructions. And almost every time, just when I thought I was finished, there's a part left over. I just throw it away. Now, I should have known better, but I just couldn't be bothered to read the instructions. Believer, you need to read the instructions. You need to be in God's word. If you struggle to do that, then begin by perhaps reading three psalms a day and a chapter from Proverbs. And if you could, two or three chapters perhaps from the Gospel of John. I assure you, if you do that, it will deepen your hunger to read more of Scripture. But I know, I know, some of you are going to say, some of you are saying right now in your hearts, I don't have the time to do all that. Well, I know that, but I also know, as you know, that you can usually find the time to do what you want to do. Now, I didn't read the instructions on Christmas Eve, not because I didn't have the time, but because I didn't want to. Believer, you need to hear the Lord's voice as you read his instructions, the word that serves as a lamp to enlighten the path that he empowers you to walk. And if you'll do that by reading his word, his truths become etched upon your mind so that you will be able to say with the psalmist, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. As you read, take note, like David, in verses 4 and 5, do so prayerfully. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Lord, teach me your ways. Enlighten my path. By grace, you've saved me from sin's 
uh, curse and power, and now by grace equip and empower me to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. I don't want to shame you. I want to live a life that glorifies you. Lord, I trust you, even in the midst of darkness and calamity. Trust you. I know you know what you're doing, and I know that only you can save, protect, and deliver me from the attacks of the evil one. Now look at verses 6 and 7. As you prayerfully seek the Lord's guidance, remember, remember his steadfast love and goodness. Remember that he has paid the penalty for your sins. Remember that he has forgiven your acts of rebellion your acts of rebellion against the one by whom and for whom you were made. Believer, this is the good news. Your sins are forgiven. Now, surely David knows that. And yet, we find David in verse 7, and if your Bibles are open, in verse 7, and verse 11, and verse 18, three times, we find David crying out to the Lord for forgiveness. Why? Because David knows, though forgiven, he still sins. David knows that he too often allows that roaring lion to take a bite out of him. Verse 7 really interesting to me. In verse 7, David focuses on the sins of his youth. Perhaps you have to be around my age to fully appreciate that. David focuses upon the sins of his youth. He cries out to the Lord not to remember them. His past sins are still troubling him. And I should think so. David had once been guilty of adultery and murder for which the Lord forgave him. But those sins still eated him. Many years ago, I found, Linda found me sobbing on the floor at home. She sat down on her couch and she placed her hand on my back and asked what was wrong and I asked if she would just sit and listen to me for a while. And of course, with loving tenderness, she sat and she listened. The evil one, that great lion, was roaring at me. Roaring! You ever been there? That great lion roaring in your ear? It was roaring at me. Reminding me of the sins of my past. Sins I had already confessed to the Lord. But I needed desperately. I needed, I needed once more for someone to hear aloud my confession of these sins of the past. I needed someone. I needed someone physically present to hear my confession to hear my confession. And after all, 
Does that scripture teach us to confess our sins one to another? I needed someone physically present to hear my confession. So I spent a long time rehashing the sins of my past, and when I finished, Linda having heard things she had never known before, she placed her hand on my back, and she prayed, and she assured me on the authority of God's word that both she and the Lord forgave me. It was a terrible and wonderful moment. I rose from the floor feeling cleansed, forgiven, and renewed in the joy of my salvation. So David here in Psalm 25, he cries out, asking the Lord not to remember the sins and transgressions of his youth. That lion is roaring at him. David needs to be assured once more of the Lord's love. So once more he confesses his sins and he does so knowing that the Lord will graciously and lovingly forgive him. For as David testifies in Psalm 32, verse 5, that if you will own your sin, if you will not cover up your iniquity, if you will confess your transgressions to the Lord, the Lord will forgive you. I mean, John tells us the same thing. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John tells us if you confess your sin, the Lord will forgive you and he will cleanse you. Not just from the sin you confessed. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, very quickly, if you have your Bibles open. In verses 16 through 18, David cries out to the Lord for his benediction. David cries out to the Lord, pronounce your benediction over me. Shine your face of favor upon me. Grant me that peace, that peace which is beyond human understanding. Verses 19 and 20, David cry out to the Lord about his external enemies. He asks the Lord to guard his soul, deliver him, to keep him from being shamed before others, to, to serve as his refuge in the storm. Verse 21, verse 21, David having asked so much of the Lord, David now asks the Lord to enable him to live a life marked by integrity and uprightness. That is a life marked by a willing an eager desire to follow, to, to live in faithful obedience to the Lord. 
And then, if you have your Bibles open, and if you don't, I want you to hear this clearly. In verse 22, David prays for you. David prays for fellow believers. He's praying for you, for me. And David asks the Lord to deliver us from the attacks of our enemies. So believer, as you live in this sin-marred world, as you experience the darkness and calamities of this sinful world, remember to actively wait upon the Lord, your Savior, your King, your Deliverer, to wait upon the Lord as you prayerfully search His Word to know how He would have you to walk the path that he has set before you. He promises that his word will be a lamp to your feet. And remember, remember that the sovereign Lord still sits upon his throne. Maybe chaos out there. God wants you to know, I got it. I've got it. It's all under my control. I've got it. Remember that He loves you, and that He loves you with a love that will never let you go. Remember. Remember that the sins of your past are forgiven. He has wiped clean the slate. He has buried those, sin, those sins in the deepest sea. He's thrown them behind his back. They are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And God even says, God says, as we talk about remembering, God says, I don't remember them. I don't remember them. And remember that when that lion takes a bite out of you and you do sin, which is the experience of us all, if you confess those sins, he will forgive you of all transgressions. And therefore, remember, the grace that saves is the grace that empowers you to overcome the attacks of the evil, to empower you to live a life of integrity and uprightness, to live a life that does not shame your king, but instead wonderfully honors and glorifies him through all that you say and do. Let's pray.
Father, we look forward to meeting David and shaking his hand. There won't be any COVID-19. We'll be allowed to do that. And to ask him how it feels to have been an instrument of God to speak to us through the words the Lord gave him and by the example that he set for he set for us. We know his sins, we know his failings. But we also know, despite his sins and despite his failings, that you still refer to him as a man after your own heart, which is encouraging to me because we all have our sins and our failings. But, oh God, by your grace and by your mercy, may we be men and women with hearts after you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.